Star Workforce Studio. I am just blessed to have been a part of it. It's essential and people deserve it. VR Workforce Studio, podcasting the sparks that ignite vocational rehabilitation through the inspiring stories of people with disabilities who have gone to work. As well as the professionals who have helped them. A job and a career. You, you got to look at how life changing this is. And the businesses who have filled their talent pipelines with workers that happen to have disabilities. To help expand registered apprenticeship. These are their stories. Because there's such a great story to tell about people with disabilities. Now, here is the host of the VR Workforce Studio, Rick Sizemore. Well, welcome to episode 99 of our podcast. On today's show, Betsy Civilette talks with Dr. Michael Keener about VR at Maryville University as we get ready for the 100th episode of the VR Workforce Studio podcast on September 30th. Mark your calendars. We have incredible guests celebrate International Podcast Day on September 30th. We're in the VR Workforce studio and our big inspiration showcase today with Paige Moore, a career occupational therapist who has spent decades at Wilson Workforce and Rehabilitation Center. And back in the day, Woodrow Wilson Rehabilitation Center, helping people with disabilities along the career pathway. And you're getting ready to retire. So welcome to the podcast, Paige. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's delightful to talk with you uh, this morning. Let's get started. You know, it is uh, Spinal Cord Injury Awareness Month, and you've helped so many people through the years who've had spinal cord injuries. And you sometimes people may think you have a spinal cord injury because you use a wheelchair. But tell us about your disability to get us started. Okay. And you're exactly right. A lot of times people um, have the misperception, I guess, that I did have a spinal cord injury um, just because by appearance I might look so. Um, But I, when I was 17 years old and I was at Harrisonburg High School, I was diagnosed with Guillain-Barre syndrome. So I spent a couple months at University of Virginia Hospital and then came directly to Woodrow Wilson Rehab Center. Really? For and therapy back for then? For therapy, yes. Right. So that was in the nineteen in 1980. And back then, you came directly from acute care here for inpatient rehabilitation. So I um, basically, and succinctly put, was here for three years. So rehab back in the day, in the early 80s, was not... Um, a short ordeal. People stayed much longer. And although you can always see pros and cons to everything, in my life, I see that as having been a pro for me because it gave me a lot of time to try to maximize my abilities and try to provide um, the opportunity. Well, I didn't provide the opportunity, but Others provide the opportunity for me to learn strategies and implement tools to help me become as functional as I could possibly be. So that was a blessing. I did stay for three years on and off, so that meant I would be here for like six months. Mm -hmm. Then I would go home for a little time to try to acclimate and use what I had learned and then return to the center to gain more skills, et cetera, et cetera. So in one way or another, you've been around this facility for 40 some years. I have. (laughs) 
I have. And how did and how did the pathway from that experience in voc rehab lead you to become an occupational therapist? Directly so. Honestly, it sounds funny now because I feel like I'm a much more introverted person. But at the time, my path was to go to Radford University and study acting. And my life's plan was to go to New York City and to act. Mm. So, um, but as it often goes with many of us, thankfully, my path was, I think, predestined for me to be an occupational therapist. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even know of that coming into this whole rehab gig back in the early 80s. I had no idea what an occupational therapist was or that the profession existed. So when I was here, I had wonderful staff members working with me, including occupational therapists. And just ironically, the occupational therapist that I had, her name was also Paige Hmm. at the time, which is just a funny story. And she since has seen me graduate from OT school. We've worked together um, as professionals, and we continue to stay friends. But um, I learned from not only her, but also from other therapists, like my physical therapist. And just a quick little story, Rick, if you don't mind. Oh, we love stories. (laughs) Is that on this past Friday night, my peers gave me a retirement oh, that's awesome. party. It was supposed to be a roast because mm-hmm. I told them I would feel much more comfortable <laughs> if they were roasting me. But I don't think that kind group really understands what a roast is supposed right. to be. <laughs> They're pretty nice people. <laughs> They're very nice people. So it was delightful, and I was surprised by a lot of things, but one included my original physical therapist when I arrived the first day at Woodrow Wilson back in 1980. Drove in from, I believe, Ohio. Wow. To surprise me. And her name is Joyce. And that's the first that time I had seen her since amazing. the beginning of the 80s. Well, so. through, the, through the years, you have helped literally hundreds, if not thousands, of people uh, along the vocational rehabilitation process and, and on to work, not only as a professional occupational therapist, but you're also a client of the agency. You have such a unique perspective. I'd love to know what your advice is to someone with a disability who's thinking of going to work or going through vocational rehabilitation. What what is it you want them to know about that pathway and where it can lead? Absolutely. Well, I think all pathways in life, whether it relates to one's journey with a disability or otherwise, you know, their pathways have ruts and pathways have smooth terrain. And we're not unique in that. You know, maybe our ruts are um, synonymous with something that might be different, like learning how to, you know, toilet ourselves again so that we can resume. That's such an OT thing to bring up, by the way, the toileting. (laughs) But you know it's an essential part of life. (laughs) It is, it is. And I think we should all be comfortable talking about it. But, you know, unless you can learn that skill, that may impact one's ability to work. Right. Specifically to work at what their desire to do is or what their assets lead them to be able to do. So um, those ruts might be different. You might not be faced with that rut, but we're all faced with ruts nonetheless. Mm -hmm. So I would say that honestly, and I think this is so important to talk about in this day and time, The value of work. The value of, absolutely. You know, work is 
not just about a paycheck, although that certainly helps in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. One, one of many reasons why it has been so hard for me to decide to retire, at least from this form of employment, is um, that I have always valued my role as an OT and valued the ability to say to people with such pride that I work at Wilson Workforce and Rehab Center, which is what Woodrow Wilson Rehab Center Mm -hmm. is now known as, and that I have been given the gift of those needing me to allow me to serve them. Wow. And that's an immense value. I, it's not equal to my role as a mom, but it's darn close. That is powerful and such good advice and helpful information to someone who's thinking about, you know, I, I want to work. I want yeah. to have that meaning in my life. We talked uh, last year with Jim Rothrock, mm-hmm. who, of course, has passed on. Absolutely. He had that same thing to say about work bringing bringing meaning into his life. And I think that's uh, not unique for people with disabilities to seek or anyone to seek that meaning that they find uh, through the work. I want to move right into that next question I had planned and you gave me the perfect opportunity to discuss it. You're a mom. Yes. You have a son who's how old now? 20, yes, 20 Monday. He turned 20 on Monday. 20 years old. Mm -hmm. And so for a woman who uses a wheelchair, who has the disability that you've uh, experienced through your life, Tell us about the experience of childbirth. Yes, yes. Given so, your circumstances in life. Right. Okay, so I would say that it's one of those smooth terrain moments, perhaps even not only smooth terrain, but smooth terrain with all the beautiful you know, special effects on the side, like mm-hmm. twinkling lights and everything. Right, right. So... Um, and by saying that, one, sometimes individuals, let's say those with spinal cord injuries, might experience otherwise. But for me, my personal story is that I, um, I guess almost time to deliver and Gray still had no indication that he was coming out. And that really is true to his personality. Right. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times he's like, come on, honey, come on, honey, it's time to go. Right, right. So he was comfortable in just doing his thing. So they did decide at the last minute to do a C-section, mm-hmm. um, which we had not planned, but that's true of a lot of women. And it was the most beautiful experience. It was really meant to be, as opposed to a traditional birth. Um, what probably maybe my disability impacted more is my ability to feel like I was adequately caring for him, mm-hmm. especially in infancy and toddler life. Um, I was blessed with my mom coming and staying with us for three months when he first was born. Also, my husband just happens to be an occupational therapist and a wonderful dad and husband, mm-hmm. so that was a big help. Um, so anyways, it was it was really a blessing and... You don't want to ask me too much about Greg because I will eat up all your time talking about Greg. <laughs> I want to talk about the the span of 30-some years as an occupational therapist. Do you have a particular story that stands out about someone who's gone through vocational rehabilitation, through occupational therapy, and 
really achieved something incredible. Oh, gosh, I have so many You probably stories. have hours of stories, but if you, could, if you could focus on one story that really warms your heart about the way you've spent your life, what would it be? But I'm going to talk about this young woman named Danielle, and I'm going to talk about her for two reasons. One is she is a young lady I just literally finished up with. Mm-hmm. So it's a very recent example. And it's a recent example of where Wilson Workforce and Rehabilitation Center focuses their efforts currently. Mm-hmm. This young woman, well, and the second reason I want to focus on her is she is an example an amazing example of perseverance and dedication and humility, just everything good in people. She's a young woman who's in her early 20s with cerebral palsy. She's from Northern Virginia. She has wonderful family support. This young lady is faced with a lot of the challenges that come with cerebral palsy, Mm -hmm. many that people typically don't even realize they have as part of their makeup. Mm -hmm. And that being not only might they have a more difficult time walking, if they can walk at all. And this young lady is able to walk. She just walks with a little limp. Her one upper extremity or arm is affected in terms of how she's able to use it, but she is able to use it. But some of the hidden things that people also deal with, like something we call visual perception. So how their brain understands what they see of the world. That might include things like how far is something really away from Mm -hmm. you so that you can judge it to reach out and grab it. Or um, is this figure that's only halfway visually seen really a whole cup? Like if I can just imagine in my brain filling in the rest of that visual absence, does that half image then tell me it's a cup Mm -hmm. so that I know I can drink from it? So those are examples of visual perception. This young lady has visual perception issues. I was part of a team, including um, her rehab counselor in Northern Virginia, her rehab counselor here at the center, her um, vocational training instructors who were amazing, a physical therapist, and many others. We have a program called PrEP Mm -hmm. um, that Rick can tell more about if he would like to, but... (laughs) Prep, um, she was part of that program before she began vocational training. So it was a big team effort led by this beautiful young lady. And she went through training and then got placed locally at a convenience store. And we had the pleasure of going over when she allowed us to and wanted us to, to come see her implement what she had learned at her time at the the center on the job site. That just myriad of examples about technology and then strategies. So that visual perception that I talked about came into play when she was doing what I now know is referred to fronting merchandise. Right. (laughs) So (laughs) It's all about the workforce. That's right. (laughs) 30 years as a professional occupational therapist, we need to finish up and put you on the spot here uh, with one phrase or one reflection that you could offer to parents and families and employers about vocational rehabilitation. What is your advice? From a personal perspective, it really, I am just blessed to have been a part of it and benefited from it. And also from a professional perspective, 
those that I've witnessed through the years, including a lot of individuals with spinal cord injuries, it's essential and people deserve it. Paige Moore is an occupational therapist at the Wilson Workforce and Rehabilitation Center, finishing up an extended decades-long career helping others. Thank you for being on our podcast today. Thank you very much. Well, now we join the DARS communications manager, Betsy Civilette, and hear her conversation with Dr. Michael Keener. Today, we welcome... Michael Keener, who is a professor and the director of Maryville University of St. Louis's Rehabilitation Counseling Program. And Michael has developed numerous trainings for community rehabilitation providers, vocational rehabilitation counselors, and supervisors of state agencies. Michael has a PhD in counseling education and is currently a certified rehabilitation counselor and member of the National Rehabilitation Association, American Counseling Association, and is a board member of the Missouri Rehabilitation Association Eastern Chapter. Well, welcome, Michael. Thank you. Give us a quick overview of Maryville's VR program. Yeah, um, we are in our 22nd year of of having the program. I came to the program in year six. Um, We are the only rehabilitation counseling program in the state of, of Missouri, so that really just helps us have better collaborations with with state VR and our other community providers. We are KCREP accredited, 48 credit hours. We'll be moving to 60 credit hours. Um, But I would, to give a couple of highlights, I would say our graduates have an equal balance of the career vocational disability aspect, but also mental health counseling. And so I really see our graduates a benefit wherever they are working, whether it's a traditional state or, or federal government agency or um, an agency maybe that's doing a little bit more in the community or mental health counseling. If I had to say what's my mission or what's my outcome for my students or our students is that that their educational experience is transformational, both personally and professionally, that they're really evolving um, to become the that professional, to um, have the passion for working with people with disabilities, to, to helping people um, meet their goals, you know, start at one point and end at another. If you would, give us a little background on your partnership with Missouri State VR program. I have to just, again, give credit to, to Tim Gaines, our, our, our director, that he is just so open to us meeting. We, we meet regularly. I, I would really consider us friends. So whenever we, you know, we meet again, we, we, we have this opportunity, um, you know, through, through, you know, his leadership and, and my work here as director, we really revamped both our practicum and internship to, to give students the full experience. Um, and then even some of the local offices here have, have, have jumped on that and really started using the practicum internship as succession planning. So they really, you know, okay, we know X number of people are retiring. Hey, let's get some more people and, and really get the students in sooner rather than, than later. Um, state State VR has been open with sharing resources about their new counselor training with us sooner rather than later. So again, our students get this you know experience while in the program. Uh, we work with with State VR and, and finding adjuncts as well. Again, any opportunity we get to to, to bring somebody in, um, we do that um, as well. And one of the other things that that um, 
I'm really proud of is, is state Missouri VR is really keyed in on employee engagement and how can we, you know, kind of invest in the, the, the counselors. Um, and so we have people from state VR kind of talk to our students about, okay, what is a job at VR? And then what do they want as a job? And so it's kind of, again, that mutual collaboration uh, from, from there. So that's obviously a, you know, a positive that they really want to, you know, hear from our students, the, the new generation, you know, what do they need in a job or what are they looking for and, and how can they sort, sort of develop um, as, as future counselors. And the last thing that I would like to kind of talk about is, is um, in conjunction with not only um, Missouri VR, Missouri also has rehab services for, for the blind that we developed a leadership training um, program where we've had counselors from, you know, Missouri, Nebraska, you know, Kansas, you know, Iowa, um, that we, we work with them to develop um, for emerging leaders or new leaders, um, how, how to take that back to, to their offices. So we do some case studies. It's a three-part training where we do some completely asynchronous, some synchronous online, and then we come together in the summertime for sort of like a conference training um, do strengths finders within that. We we talk about again leadership, and then have the, have the participants bring real. They develop their own personal case study that they're going to work on while in the training, and then they can bring it back to to their home office. So so those are some of the things that that we do. Well, that is wonderful. Thank you, Michael. So it sounds like Maryville, you partner with VR, and you've made a difference in the lives of people with disabilities. And I understand you have some success stories to share with us today. Yeah, um, I would like to think all our students are success stories, but but um, I'm really in particular thinking about one of our, our graduates, Beth Dauber, who was a Maryville undergrad. And so I remember really talking with her when she was thinking about, you know, um, coming into the graduate program um, and then really tracking her career. And, um, you know, she's become a friend of the program. She's on our advisory council. She's adjuncted for us, but to give a little bit of her story. So she graduated um, in 2009 and in 2010, she created a program through VR to work with people with, with traumatic brain injury. That was sort of her passion coming, coming through the program. Her practice internship were working at some rehab hospitals. Um, so again, she had a, had a, there was a need in Missouri for that, especially here in the, the, the Eastern part of the state. And then she was given the, the, the tools to be innovative and forward thinking to, to develop the program. Because of that, in 2016, she received the Counselor of the Year Award from ARCA. So you know, that was pretty, pretty exciting for her and, and for us. That is great. Um, what a difference. It sounds like you're a mentor and, and these graduates as well are mentoring others and um, coming back to Maryville. Right. right. <laughs> So what about those potential students considering a career in VR? How would you attract these potential VR students sure. this career path? Yeah, great, great question. I always tell potential students that a degree in rehabilitation and counseling is not only the, the degree of uh, the present, but of the future. And I think we see that even now with, with the pandemic when so many people perhaps are are changing jobs because of the pandemic, wanting a better life work balance. So, you know, career vocational counseling is, is so much more important now. Um, the, the, you know, the pandemic forced us to really even more embrace technology. So maybe working with people with dis disabilities from a, 
working at home or having more work virtual or flexible work settings is, is a positive. So again, I think there's a positive there. Um, I also think that just in general, um, the disability rights movement and, 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 and rehabilitation counselors have worked better with the business side. So we're really seeing the economic model coming through that, that there's a huge hiring um, economic base that if you hire somebody with a disability, that they're going to stay at that place longer or that will translate, translate to people buying their services because they, they know these agencies or corporations are supportive of people with disabilities. Um, I also think that the, the mental health stigma of going to see a counselor is less. So, so again, the, the, there is this, this positive momentum right now, um, you know, for a degree in rehabilitation counseling. Well, yeah, it sounds like there is a, a lot of opportunities going forward in VR at Maryville. So thank you for sharing your stories. So this podcast is just a great example of how we can use it with, with our students to really introduce them to the field to um, hear success stories of people with disabilities, to really get them a, a future uh, picture of the work that they will be doing, the meaningful impact that they will be having. Um, you know, again, I think we just see students in general increasing their use of podcasts, so this should be a natural fit. And again, um, so many programs are just increasing their use of, of, of these experiential learning opportunities in the classroom. So, so Podcasts like this just are ideal for, for teaching and learning. Dr. Michael Keener is the head of rehabilitation counseling at Maryville University, and Betsy Civilette is the communications director at the Virginia Department for Aging and Rehabilitative Services. It's time for a National Clearinghouse Report with the always entertaining and informative Sherry Takamoto. Welcome to the podcast, Sherry. Thanks, Rick. Well, it's Spinal Cord Injury Awareness Month. What'd you think of Paige's story? I'm just so impressed with all she's doing for people with spinal cord injury. And you on the VR Workforce Studio podcast have showcased so many interesting people who have, have survived spinal cord injury. And I wanted to share a set of YouTube videos that's been done by the National Paralysis Resource Center on cultivating resilience after spinal cord injury trauma, because as you know, everyone's story is different. Absolutely. I mean, you can hear many of those stories just by going to the library at vrworkforcestudio.com. You have some other resources. Yes, I have the Model Systems Knowledge Translation Center that's funded by the National Institute on Disability Independent Living and Rehabilitation Research. This center is a powerhouse of information, resource, resources, and research on spinal cord injury and also traumatic brain injury and burn injury. Yeah. Well, we're just a month away from National Disability Employment Awareness, but this month it's Workforce Development Month. Yes, exactly the time to get ready. So I want all of you counselors out there to check out the Vocational Rehabilitation Technical Assistance Center on Quality Employment. We call it VR Tech QE. And um, if you can sign up for their TACQE Tuesday, or I call it Taco Tuesday, for all kinds of updates. But I especially want to highlight their training. They have recently uploaded over 20 hours of online, on-demand instruction on outreach, service delivery, and employment outcomes, including 
10 hours on customized employment. And as a bonus, everyone who goes can get credit for that. Well, that is just amazing. Thanks for your report, Sherry. We'll see you next month. Uh, Actually, that's episode 100, which we'll post on the 30th of September, International Podcast Day, as we usher in National Disability Employment Awareness, have some powerhouse guests, a lot of excitement built around this uh, 100th episode. So we'll see you then. 100 episodes. That's going somewhere, Rick. Thank you, Sherry. Thank you. Here's Lynn Harris, director of the Wilson Workforce and Rehabilitation Center Foundation. The foundation is pleased to bring you these exciting stories of how vocational rehabilitation is changing people's lives. Your support helps students gain the skills and credentials they need to be successful in business and industry. We thank all of our partners in podcasting who made this episode possible. The Council of State Administrators of Vocational Rehabilitation, CVS Health, Dominion Energy, Daikin Applied, Hollister Inc., and United Bank. You can find out more about becoming a sponsor at wwrcf.org or find our contact information in the show notes at vrworkforcestudio.com. You can always find another exciting episode as we podcast the sparks that ignite vocational rehabilitation here at the VR Workforce Studio. Until next time, I'm Rick Sizemore. The VR Workforce Studio podcast is owned and operated by the Wilson Workforce and Rehabilitation Center Foundation. The foundation publishes and distributes the VR Workforce Studio and manages all sponsor arrangements. Audio content for the podcast is provided to the Wilson Workforce and Rehabilitation Center Foundation by the Virginia Department for Aging and Rehabilitative Services in exchange for promotional considerations.